Grace to you and peace from the mysterious triune God who has been revealed to us in Christ, the Lamb of God who is our righteousness. Just coming off the heels of Epiphany, it's strange to call Christ a mystery. After all, the Epiphany season ended with the glorious transfiguration of Christ, God revealed in the flesh quite clearly. But there are benefits to seeing Christ as the mystery, and of course, Scripture does indeed call him a mystery on several occasions. Two I will mention to begin the message from Colossians. In Colossians chapter 2, St. Paul writes, My purpose is that their hearts be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge. What a claim. Christ is God's mystery in whom are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and that that knowledge and wisdom and mystery can knit people's hearts together in love. Understanding the mystery of Christ brings all knowledge and wisdom, all necessary knowledge and wisdom for righteousness, for sure. And that enables us to have hearts knit together in love. So as we think about applying the passage, especially to the opening reading from Matthew 6, people really don't know it all if you don't know Christ. And it is possible and probable that they would have difficulty in earthly relationships because it's hard for them to see their hearts being knit together in love. And I suppose that constitutes probably the only part of my St. Valentine's Day, Ash Wednesday message, hearts knit together in love. The second passage from Colossians is in chapter 4. And Paul, by the way, mentions at least three times in the Colossians epistle that Jesus is the mystery. Paul writes to the Colossians in verse 3, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with it in an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God may open to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. So applying the verse once again, as we read St. Paul describe this, he's clearly literally connecting the dots between Jesus being the mystery and him being in prison. Apparently, speaking of this mystery must be dangerous. More on that later. So as we think about those two passages and the passages that are coming up, from the gospel, they also lead us to another mystery. Why on earth would this particular message, which seems to be good, it brings together wisdom and knowledge, the ability to have loving relationships, why would it be, in fact, so dangerous, so threatening, that they would imprison Paul? Let's look at the gospel. So we remember the gospel read tonight is in the Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters of Matthew that entail the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. I mean, this is no mystery. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. He is exposing himself, according to Matthew, 
to the multitudes, and he's speaking the mysteries of the kingdom of God out loud. And this is how it begins. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them. Why? Because Jesus wants people to know that he is the mystery revealed. So the sermon is a long message. The New Testament has 181,253 words in the English translations. That's an average, I believe. <laughs> and they're on public display. They are right here for people to see, but so many people do not inquire into the mystery as it is revealed in Scripture. Because I think they have a fear of giving up their own righteousness. And so Jesus cautions them in the middle of the sermon with these words, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. This verse, too, is a mystery. I mean, we at least think of Jesus as a good guy, even if you're not a Christian. You would think that Jesus would want people to be practicing righteousness. He seems to be opposed to it in this verse. Certainly he's not for practicing evil or sin. But the mystery is yet deeper. Why would people want to practice righteousness in order to be noticed by others? You and I do this so often, we've become inoculated against it. We don't even realize how we do this all the time. We practice our righteousness oftentimes to be seen by others. And this deep philosophical philosophical question, why do we want to be noticed by others? Why is that so important? So I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but this past Sunday there was an event held in Las Vegas. Uh, it's called the Super Bowl. 123 million people watched it. It was a record number. But you know, honestly, when you think about the number, proportionally, it's a pretty small number. It's 1.5% roughly of the world's population. 1.5%. 1.5% on 100% is really kind of a media failure, if you think about numbers. But of course, it is the largest audience to ever watch a television event in America. And when you consider the importance of the event, it's somewhat mystifying. So apparently, in this event, there are 11 men on both sides of a, of a pigskin that's inflated, and the idea is to carry it across the chalk line more than the other team does. And 123 million people watched this event. Really, how important is that? I think at least they could have boosted the event by having a team from a different city like Cleveland. We seem to have a dynamic in humanity, especially today, that we want to be noticed. Whether it is a Super Bowl or other game shows, it's not just to be noticed, it's to be noticed doing something more or better than someone else. Infatuation of attention. Inflation of attention. We want to be noticed. Why? Well, a very simple answer that I think everyone gets is we want to matter. And you know what? Inherently, that is not wrong. 
In fact, it's somewhat divine. God created us for a purpose. And we do matter to each other and to God. To matter is actually a good thing. We don't want to be overlooked unless someone might think that we do not matter. Oh, but we don't mind being overlooked if we happen to be doing something wrong. I don't know if you caught the game or not. Of course, by happenstance, I think I saw it. But did you see the sideline event with that one guy? I don't know his name. He's the boyfriend of someone named uh, Taylor Swift. Actually, I know his name way better than Taylor Swift. So there was that episode with the tight end, Travis Kelsey, who's a rather large man. And he went over and screamed at his coach and banged into him. And I'm telling you, it is the most egregious manifestation of player versus coach aggression I've ever seen, and I watch a lot of football. And it was in the middle of the most watched Super Bowl. And it bothered people. Why? That's another mystery. Why were we bothered that this man was acting aggressively? I mean, it's an aggressive sport. Why does it bother humans when they see aggression? So we start to put the puzzle pieces together. People want to be noticed. We want to matter. We want to excel. And we still notice when people are behaving badly, at least to some degree. So ethics, morality, decency seems to matter. But here's an deeper, deeper, profound question. How do we know that it's wrong? That's a classic C.S. Lewis question. Well, we could go on and on with these mysteries. The answer to that question is Romans 2, 14 and 15. God has told us what is right and wrong. It's written in our heart, and we can't shake it. And that's why we at least try to be good. But Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward in heaven. So we practice this righteousness because we think we matter, and we do. And so we continue to do this for reasons that are very much driven by what is inside of us, a sense to be right, our righteousness. But our righteousness is like the pathetically small number of people really watching the Super Bowl, comparatively so. I mean, you know, you miss 98.5% of the people who are alive. We always think that our achievements are bigger than what they really are. It's humbling when we see reality, how really insignificant the big accomplishments that we think we have done seem. It's humbling when we think about atrocious behavior and how often it really goes on secretly in our head and our hearts just as it went on the sideline of that game. And it's humbling, although that happened one time in the game, to realize how often that happens in our head and our hearts. You may remember what caused the flood. God had to live with this constant echo of people's thoughts that were evil all the time. He lives there. No wonder people who do not know Christ are afraid. 
They know that there is this expectation of righteousness and they're desperate to meet it. And they want everybody to notice. And they're still afraid because they know it doesn't cut it with God. Our epistle today has one of the most beautiful passages about what really makes it with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Not the righteousness of Rob or the righteousness of any of you. We might become the righteousness of God. One of the great mysteries of God in Christ is that he really wants us to have the things that we desire. We want to be right. He wants us to be right. And so he gives us his righteousness. We really do matter to God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Somebody once said, if you were the only one on earth, he would have done it for you. He wants things that we do to be significant. Our epistle in the second chapter that was read, the beginning of chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, and working together with him. How awesome are those words? After faith comes, we start to do things with God. That's what it means to do the works of the new creation created in Christ. You do it with God. You never work solo. It's always a faith. And suddenly, things that once seemed insignificant, like giving a cup of water to somebody, now get mentioned by Jesus in the gospel, if you do it by faith. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because of your name, as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Think about that. Now the insignificant things become hugely important to God, which he notices when we do them by faith, including carrying an inflated pigskin. You can do that also by faith if you do it with him. So the mystery of Christ is that he is our righteousness. And as the prophet Joel said, return to me with all your heart, because we know that we've been exposed. Whenever we hear God's word, we realize how far we have come short of it. We are hungry once again for the righteousness of Christ, which he offers here tonight. How many Travis Kelsey sideline experiences have you had in your private life? I don't know. A lot. Jesus wants us to excel. He wants us to do it through a new heart. And David said beautifully in the psalm that he wrote after he committed adultery and murder, talk about the power of the righteousness of God to cover up our sin and clean us up. David said, let's make it even more potent. By the Spirit, he said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and do it, renew a right spirit within me. I want a whole new thing. That's the righteousness of God. And so as we go back to what it means now to practice not your righteousness, but God's righteousness, suddenly things change dramatically. It's not a responsibility, it's freedom. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. And at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say this, 
Let your light shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's only done by faith because they know that you are working with him. He is the light. We just reflect it. It is really no mystery why people try to glorify themselves with their own self-righteousness in front of other people because they will never, ever satisfy their own conscience. And so they keep trying it, and they protect it because they don't know the mystery of Christ's forgiveness. And they'll throw people in prison like Paul, or they'll even kill you if you happen to be a martyr. They're terrified by the fact that they know that they are dust and ashes and the day is coming when all that they have done will be insufficient. And the Bible teaches that clearly. And so the mystery of Christ is revealed. Jesus is our righteousness. He wants you to have the freedom. He wants you to have the excellence. He wants the small things in life to matter. And he wants you to treasure him. And if you do that, it will set you free. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which goes beyond what we understand, stand guard over our hearts and minds to serve Christ freely through the gift of his righteousness and faith. Amen.